On the show today, I'm joined by not one, but two very special guests. First up is Brennan Elliott. Brennan's best known for his work on TV's Unreal, as well as his starring roles in numerous Hallmark movies. Then I speak to upcoming Supernova guest Todd Habercorn about his incredible career on stage, on screen, and in theatre. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. Joining me on the show today, I've got two incredible guests who I could not be more excited to talk with. First up is Brennan Elliott. He stars in Unreal, the TV show that took the world by storm a few years back. It's on its third season right now, with a fourth season already filmed, as on, uh, on Mondays, I believe, as in Mondays in America, and it's out on Tuesdays here in Australia. It streams on Stan. Uh, it's an excellent show, and it's about the behind-the-scenes of a reality television program similar to you know, The Bachelor, uh, and Brennan plays the fictitious host of that show, so he talks about the reality of making a show about reality television, as well as his work with Mariah Carey and uh, starring in you know, seven Hallmark films a year. So let's hear from Brennan first. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. No, no, no worries. Thanks for having me. Now, Brennan, what inspired you to pursue a career in the arts? Well, I was kind of, as a child, I was an artist. I mean, I, was, I played a lot of music, and I always loved to, you know, I was in theater and did plays and music, and I was a pretty, I was a World Kiwanis Music Festival champion, which is kind of a big deal, I guess. I grew up in Canada, and it was a big deal um, in music, and it was in, I played the accordion. And, you know, when you're, kind of as a young child raised by a single mother I had a lot of she worked a lot a lot of free time so I I think my imagination and creativity and being an artist and, and I loved movies I mean I wasn't sitting there at eight or nine going you know I want to go and study at the act studio and learn method but you know what I mean I mean I was just learning that I, I loved the arts just even from a young boy I wasn't really wired to do you know math and all the other stuff so um yeah, it's always been certain of a passion of mine. And once you decided that you wanted to use this passion as a career, did you start training at a university or did you go to auditions? What was the first step? Well, I, I basically made the decision, was kind of advised at a young age. I did a lot of improv and, and worked in theater when I was really young. And then one of my pre, very early on mentors said, if you really want to have longevity in this business and want to you know, be good at what you do, or at least be reputable enough to continue to work. You want to be able to be good at what you do. And, and the way to do that is to study. And, and, you know, there's a million pretty faces in the world or there's a million people that have the dream, but very few people can actually <clears throat> go and, and learn and, and build a craft and, and work on your instrument and on all those kinds of things. So I studied, I, I studied from the ages of oh geez, 18 to just about a couple of years ago where I kind of left my mentor, um, Eric Morris, I studied with him for many, many years, almost 15 years. So, um, but I studied all over the country. I was in Canada, I was in New Mexico and, and I studied in New York and, and then obviously we'll hear Los Angeles. And, um, so I've, I've always been kind of a student of the craft, so to speak, and wanting to learn different kinds of, you know, uh, teaching methods, different kinds of ways people work from whether it's Meisner to, to, to Strasbourg's approach, or what have you. So I was just learning everything from everybody, um, and even improv as well was something that started off with, which was really good. And, 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 you know, dealing with your instrument as an artist, too, and opening yourself up and being affectable and being able to express emotion freely. And 
listening in the moment. I mean, all these little things sound so kind of rudimentary, but they're really difficult to, to do when you're, we're all programmed as a young person to, you know, don't cry. Don't feel this. Don't do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I behave this way, act like this. And, and I was found that I got in trouble with that because I wanted to kind of express what I was feeling on a moment to moment basis and theater and the arts were kind of that venue where I could be that person. And do you think that even though you're not doing classes now, you're still learning now from people around you? And, and Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, every day I'm on set, I'm learning not only the business, but watching other actors and actresses. And, and I've learned, one of the things I'm learning a lot is, is it's almost like you learn the craft, you, you, you train, 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 and then the more you do it, you start to, to become more economical, more trusting of yourself, more you kind of deconstruct the process where you don't have to do a to Z anymore. You can kind of just, you know, do a couple of things that you know that affect you and you're there. And so learning to trust yourself has been something that I've been really learning over the last few years. And it's really enabled me to, to be um, more proud or at least more comfortable quality of work I'm doing and just kind of growing and evolving by watching other actors. And I still study with somebody that I'll go and I'll run lines with or I'll go over a scene or we'll collaborate and I'll get some outside perspective on a character or on emotionally what that person's feeling what is needing in a scene or what the scene's about and trying to personalize that to my life because that's kind of how I work. But yeah, you're always learning. I always say it's a 24 hour day, 365 day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year involvement. And, and, and you just, you're only as good as the last role you play. And you just, you're always learning something and then you get those roles that scare you and, and you don't know if you can do it. And so, yeah, you're always learning. And with all that, training and that preparation does that actually prepare you for your first day on set because obviously the craft is something that you've you're very ready for but the actual economics of how a, a set works what was your first day like on a professional set horrifying i mean they don't really teach you i mean they, they have some classes where they teach you you know how to work on you know on set and the film but you know some of the best training i've had is just continuing to work um you know the audition process alone is something that i've I feel I've gotten down, not down, but I've learned maybe in the last couple of years to figure out how to do it. Where it was a very daunting experience for a long time because you're really on the spot and you don't want to really have that feeling of on the spot itis or whatever you want to. Really isn't uh, doesn't complement the work. Doesn't make you feel relaxed and organic. So it was a very difficult process, the audition process, and then obviously when you get on set, there's so many things to, to learn with crew and everything else and understanding. Um, you know, the set and where to hit your marks. I mean, just, there's so many elements that go into it that you could be this really well-schooled actor and very versatile in your craft and in your instrument and everything else, but then when you get on set, you just, you've never been on set. And I always say, you know, obviously be on the stage, be in front of the camera and keep acting and, and you'll, you'll keep growing. And, and uh, I really believe that, you know, for me, I'm starting to kind of feel like I'm doing the work that I wish I could have done this when I was in my 20s. You know, I'm starting to kind of find my voice as an artist and, you know, I'm, you know, 42 now. So it's, uh, it takes a long time. And just because you're schooled and gone to a great school or were trained doesn't mean that, like I said, you're not only, only not only always learning, but it doesn't mean that you figured it out. Cause once you think you figured it out, you get that next part and then you're lost again. So that's one of the great things about it is you never, you never rest on your laurels and think you figured this out. It's, it's an art form and it takes, your whole lifetime to keep exploring and you never ever feel like you got it <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is now you mentioned the audition process and i know that's starting to change a lot well here anyway with the self-tapes that seem to be prevalent yeah. now more than ever 
when you do those, isn't there this, I mean, you can do it a hundred times before you send it in to try and find the perfect one. Do you ever get to that point where you're starting to overthink a self-tape? Yeah, I'm, I, the way I was taught and the training that I come from is, I, you know, if you start to think or edit and in your, in your head you've, you've disconnected from any kind of sense of reality or organic, organic in the moment, spontaneity, anything honest, I think, once you, once you start editing in your head, you're screwed. So for me, obviously, you know, you're breaking the script down, you're using your techniques, you're making strong choices, you're being affected by the material, yada, yada, yada. But when you do it, I, if I don't have it in the first two or three, um, and I start to think about it, then I, I will never get it. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big, like, let's rehearse it to death. Let's shoot it to death. I like to kind of say, let's see what happens. You know, let me explore this choice and let's jump in and let's see what happens. If I believe the mistakes and the insecurities that the actor feels and, and maybe you're lost in a moment and you say the line from that perspective of how you're feeling in that moment and that changes, I believe that's when you start to make something really fresh and exciting and three-dimensional and honest and real and yada, yada, yada. But if you start planning and thinking and going, you know, I've said I've done it like 15 times and you've, you've played it back for me. I want to try it a different way. Then you start going after what I call concept. And that's one of the worst words an actor could ever do. Yeah. Mm. Now, you talk about after you over-rehearse something, falling into that complacency. What happens with theatre for you? I mean, how do you keep that fresh every night? Well, that's how I started. And, and you know, I learned from my training that every night it's going to be different. You know, like, if I, you know, one of my mentors and somebody that has taught me more than anybody else basically said, you can say I love you a million different ways, but we want to teach you how to say it from your gut and from truth. And every night, you know, if you're doing Shakespeare or you're doing something contemporary or whatever you're doing, um, it should be different every single night. You're still working for your same, you know, needs and feelings and relationships are there. And there's still, you know, certain obligations to the material you've got to be obviously on par with. But you're going to feel different tomorrow. You might not feel as well. Your energy might be a little low. And you've got to just include, include, include what you're feeling. And some of the most exciting moments I ever had on stage or in film, and mostly recently in the last four or five years, is when I know I'm working for something emotionally or in some sort of a need for a scene and the lines there, and I'm working with an actor or actress. And right in the middle of the scene, I just go blank or I get insecure. Or I'm going, am I, is, what's happening? Or I'm lost. Does this suck or whatever? And instead of letting that sabotage me and going, uh-oh, I just include it. You know what I mean? Mm. Include those feelings. And the audience doesn't know what you're feeling, but it's something exciting. Like, wow, this character's feeling something really different. This is really, and it's an organic moment that you can ride. And that's just this level, that's just trusting yourself. And so I always try to, I did a theater show for kids once. Like I was 20 at the time, I think. And I did three shows a day for a month. And it was the most taxing and exhausting thing I've done even to this day. And, you know, been off-Broadway and stuff, but it, it was really, really tough. You I mean, obviously weren't paid. It was more of an experience in, in dealing with, you know, musical you know, theater with, for kids. But every take, every time we would do it, the director was always trying to make sure we made it the same we did the night before because it really worked, whatever. And I always struggled with that, and I was still young in my training process. And I thought, well, I, I'm not feeling the same way, but I didn't know what I know now. And I think that that can be, uh, that can really hurt a, pr- a production if you're trying to make it the same every single night, because then it's not fresh and exciting. Absolutely. And now you mentioned uh, the work. Over the last four or five years, you've done uh, a wide range of projects. I mean, obviously Unreal, but Cedar Cove, Flower Shop Mysteries, a whole range of Hallmark films. How, when you're working yeah. so much, 
How do you ensure that each of your characters is different enough and you don't start getting into the same mindset every time? Yeah, you know, I kind of, you know, want to make sure that every project in itself is its own, its own little entity. So, like, when I get... I believe even every episode of Unreal is its own thing. You know, whatever Graham's going through, what the through line of the story is. But, you know, and you, you can get complacent. I mean, I know a lot of actors that, you know, you're doing 22 episodes a season or you're in a play and you go, you know, I know this so well, like, back of my hand, it's going to, you know, I'm playing this. It's, just, it's a, I'm a veterinarian or I'm a teacher. It's the same thing. I'm just going to do the same thing. And I think that that can, can happen. And that's kind of the death to me because I really feel like, you know, it's harder work, but look at every, every project, every script, like its own little life force and, and, and try to make it honest and real and let it affect you and work for personal choices and all those kinds of things that we as actors do. But once you start going, okay, and it's, look, don't get me wrong, it's hard. I mean, I remember last year I did 29 flights and I did two seasons of Unreal and a couple of movies where I was the lead in them and almost on every page. And they were such diverse characters to the point where I remember I was shooting to four in the morning, a Christmas movie for the Hallmark Channel, playing the theater director out of New York and had a really loving scene about the history of my father with this, my co-star. And I was on a 7 a.m. flight to, to Vancouver to play Graham that day and delivering monologues about, you know, sex and competition and just how Graham is a character that is, he's just an absolute nightmare and a mess inside. So it was a really emotional stretching exercise for me, but you know, that was what was exciting. And that's what we as actors have to do. I'd hate to be the one who's doing the same thing over and over again. Even if you're doing a series and I did a series where I played a doctor for 22 episodes. Anyway. Yeah. So you you mentioned unreal and obviously the character of Graham and that's been going for quite a while now. And as someone who works in the entertainment industry, do you think that show is particularly accurate to what you've seen and the people that you've met? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not a huge watching of the reality show genre, like I eat the bachelor, but the people that are our execs and our showrunners and, and, and the people that are kind of overseeing the writing, they have worked in, in, in a production standpoint on those shows and it is accurate. Um, so, and that almost is what's making, I think, the show so successful. Is it scary to know that these things do happen? The manipulation, the, the kind of directing people to do certain things for, you know, for, for TV or what have you. Um, no, I mean, obviously we're doing a television show, so I'm sure we take some liberties on some of the storylines. But what I've been told is that these things do happen and they are accurate. And it's, uh, it blows my mind every time I read a new episode. I go, A, can we do this? And B... This happened? This stuff happens? <laughs> it, so. Yeah, it certainly can be quite shocking. But there was also uh, about a year yeah. break between uh, season two and season three. Uh, why, why did that happen? Why did you leave audiences hanging for so long? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's beyond my pay grade. But I think you know, we did the first season, and then there was some kind of, uh, I think maybe some differences with our showrunners and producers and people that were kind of, coming in and out. So we had to, maybe there were some new people being brought in. I don't know. I know that we did wait a little bit, like a year and a half. And I, there might've been also issues with, you know, when you're filming in a location like Vancouver, where it's inundated with so many productions, it's, it, there's a location issue. You got to get these certain locations. Other shows come in and they want them for four or five, six, seven months, whatever you, you lose that location. I think that was a rumor too. So I don't know. I mean, obviously I think everybody, and I, I can't speak for the powers to be, but I'm sure lifetime, everybody would have loved to have gotten, 
in there and got the third season going earlier. Um, but, you know, so you don't lose your audience, but unfortunately we couldn't. And I think that because of the critical acclaim and the, you know, the, the nominations and everything else and, and just how good the show is and how people respond. And I think that you know, the fan base is, uh, is still there. So we're, we're going to be okay. I think you will too. Cause you also filmed season four, uh, on the back of filming season three. So is that going to air this year as well? Uh, the, I don't know. I mean, the rumor is season three will air, and then I think we might take, you know, maybe they'll bring it out in the fall. I don't know. I mean, it's a great season. It's a great season, season three and season four. I mean, season four is, we just wrapped it, so it's a little more fresh. But, um, you know, it's, it deals with a lot of the uh, different elements. There's men and women. There's competition. It's, it's really great. Uh, I won't disclose too much, but I will say it's uh, every season feels like its own uh, show. It's not an extension of this, the same Unreal. It's, it's very, very different. And season four felt very different than, than, than three and two and one and obviously vice versa. But I, I think, you know, the rumor is they're not going to take as much time in between season three and four as they did in season two and three. I can tell you that. So <laughs> I'm hoping it comes out right after season three. Cause I think once you have the audience and they want to see it, they are they're, they're clamoring for more episodes. You know what I mean? I do. And is a, is a season five on the tape? Is that something that you think Lifetime will look into? Well, I, I know that um, our exec, our creator said that this is a five-season show on her mind. Now, obviously, that's a decision for the network and based on a, a myriad of things, I'm sure. Uh, would we all love to do a season five, I'm sure, and, and, and finish the storyline, and, and that'd be great. But uh, no one has come to any of us, I don't believe, or at least I haven't heard anything about a season five. I've heard rumors of... You know, they love the show, and everybody loves the dailies, and they love this, and they love that, and so season five is obviously inevitable, but you know, this business, you know how it is. I mean, you never know. So we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed, and, and hopefully they, uh, you know, they finish the story. Absolutely. Now, it is a Lifetime series, and I've always... Correct. I've, I've had, a, I suppose, a vision that that's not the kind of show or film that the Lifetime would make. It's, it seems to be unusual for them to step out of a, a comfort zone and make something as, as confrontational and as adult as Unreal is. Why do you think they decided to yeah. take that gamble? Well, I, I have a little experience with Lifetime based on being on their flagship show, Strong Medicine, back in 2000 to 2006, I believe. And that was when the network was obviously, the moniker was television for women. And basically, you'd have your TV movies where there was these strong, powerful women characters, and, and, and most men were either, you know, killers or rapists or bad husbands or what have you. And it was kind of this power, this kind of channel that was kind of promoting powerful women, which, was a, which obviously is wonderful and was very successful and it's a place and there's a place for that and i think they still have that vision but you know there's a rebranding going on with a lot of networks where they want to just kind of explore other things and, and, and when when things are happening in in our culture and in society you have to kind of adapt to the times and i think that the network has listened um specifically what's going on uh, over the last few years in not only our business but in the world and in politics and in you know, with, with society, and I think they have to make some changes, and maybe they have to make some edgier content, or maybe take some risks with these powerful women and, and do something different, and, you know, you're always, it's just kind of an artist always collaborating and growing and exploring, and I think the networks are doing the same thing, most of them. Absolutely, and it's clearly working, because Unreal has received critical and audience acclaim worldwide, and I think fans seem to really like yeah. it. Yeah, they do, and it's, it's a, it, it is a great show. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, not just to be, you know, because I'm in it, but it, it is, you know, in, in watching it as a, even as a fan, it's it's a, it's it's brilliantly written. Um, such vibrant characters. Our two leading ladies are powerhouses. 
and the, the, the subtextual, emotional, sensual, sexual, deviant undertones and the loss and the pain and all the things that these characters go through is very honest and raw and organic. And I think there's also this comedy there um, that I get a chance to play a lot of, which is kind of balances it out. And it's just this very witty and well-done show. And I think the fans, because I always say this, even when I was in theater, fans are a lot smarter than I sometimes feel like we think. And when you're producing a show or you're acting in something or you're doing a play or anything, you, you almost feel like you want to spoon feed the audience. You don't need to. They get it. They're smart. They can make decisions for themselves. And I think this is a show that's not spoon feeding anybody. They're saying, here it is. And you uh, decipher what works for you or not. And, and yeah, across the board, everybody's been really, really receptive. Exactly. Now, in addition to this, you've also made uh, quite a few Hallmark movies. And I believe one of those was yes. directed by Mariah Carey. Was that a unique That's correct. experience? Uh, it was wonderful. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, look, I mean, she's a legend. She's an icon. She, I mean, she has Mariah's world. I mean, it's her, I mean, she's, she's her own brand. And, and but, I, you know, I say this with absolute, um, 100%. I mean, just being dead honest, that is one of the nicest human beings that you'll ever meet. Um, and there's obviously, when you're at that level, you have all this press at times with certain things that get skewed, and maybe there's the attitude that, they, you know, with this or the tease, or she was singing a song in New York. And, you know, I get all that. But, I mean, when you're at the top of the heap, you're going to get a lot of that backlash for things that maybe might be misconstrued. But working with me and me working with her on that film, which was her first directing gig as far as the film, it was a wonderful experience. She was professional. She was a wonderful lady. She was a lot of fun. I mean, she's quirky and funny and, and almost like a little girl, which you don't really expect because she's such a powerful woman. And she's talented, and I think that she can and should direct more stuff. And she's, I mean, obviously, she's probably directed 9.9% of her, um, her videos anyway. But So she's very talented, and we had a lot of fun, and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, working with great, any, any first-time director... Is that a, a different experience to working with someone who's been doing it for 20 or, or 30 years? I think so. I mean, I think when you work with somebody who's been doing it for a long time, they can also get set in their ways, which can kind of squeeze out the joy of the spontaneity of discovering and collaborating together. But at the same time, the positive side of it is they know what they want, and they go and they do it, and it, things move a lot quicker. With somebody who's brand new, obviously they're dealing with their insecurities, and it's new for them, and and they don't really understand maybe this, that, and the other thing. And, and you're kind of, it's still fresh. And it's like, ah, oh, this is exciting. This is a new way of doing it. But they're learning. And it's, you're part of that journey in both ways. I've had directors that have been doing it for so long. And they're great. And there's directors that have been doing it not long at all. And they're just as great. So it's, I think it's just, uh, I don't have a preference. Um, I, I mean, I do prefer um, directors to, you know, you collaborate. And they're open to exploring things. But I don't really... Like, I, I like this type of director. I just, you know, I don't really have, as long as we're collaborating together to, 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 to discover the scenes and make things really wonderful and alive and honest, and those are always usually the best directors, and they come in all shapes and sizes and experience. Mm. And, I mean, a lot of actors have transitioned to directing, I mean, notably Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele this year. Is directing something you'd like yes. to look at in the future? You know, I've been asked this question the last, well, because I'm, I'm getting into producing and I'm producing a couple projects, so which I, I'm really enjoying. Um, and come up with my colleagues on these projects that I'm producing. I, I, they've, they've asked me if I would direct some of them. And I, I've never thought of it because I've always felt that acting is, is a skill that I don't believe it's too 
are doing a million things, you're not really good at one thing. You know, what's that master of many, not, not a master of one or whatever. You know that term? I don't know what it is, but I can't say it now. But um, I believe I just wanted to be able to find some way of being the best actor. I could be a master of that, whatever that means, before I started to take on another discipline. But in the last probably two years, I mean, even watching the, the, our two leading ladies on Unreal, um, Sherry Appleby and Constance Direct, it's kind of struck... Um, a little bit of, because I, I don't do anything unless I have some sense of passion for it and I feel some connection to it. Um, and I really feel like when I watched them and, and seeing how they were fighting and struggling and then you, cause you feel like, oh, I don't want to do it because I'm not passionate. But maybe it's just my fear and insecurity that I don't think I can do it. But I mean, I think deep down I probably could. And, and I think that what I'm, maybe I'd, I'd start to like it and then I'd do it all the time. But it is, it is, it is creeping into me now where I'm starting to kind of get a little interest. And um, I might over the next little bit go, you know, you know, I'm doing this and producing a bunch of these movies and, and I can't really disclose anything more than that. But, you know, maybe I'll uh, I'll do one of them. It's got an experience because obviously I'll be shadowed. I'll have somebody with experience behind me. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to happen here in the next little bit. That, that'd be great, I think. And with producing... Yeah. What I mean, obviously, I know what that entails. But for our audience who've heard that term thrown around a lot, what does producing a movie actually entail for you? Well, for me, it's I mean, there's a million myriad of things. But for me, I've always been interested in the financial elements of it. Uh, obviously, financing and tax incentives and crews. And I always felt like whenever I got into a project, I always kind of enveloped all of it from. Who's, who, who are you working with? Who's casting it? How much, what's the budget? What, what's the licensing fee? What can we work? Just, just, it's just kind of how I was wired. I mean, I did a minor degree when I was in university before I went to conservatory and theater school and went to, to actual actor training and took courses in finance so I can understand. So I understand financially how to make one buck, two bucks, and all those kinds of things and that go into that. So, and what entails with producing and creating a project, there's, a myriad of a million things. There's crew, there's casting, there's craft service, there's, there's tax incentives, there's locations, there's all of that stuff. And I always felt that I was interested in everything um, and all of it because it always fed my work. You know, who's casting it? What's the tone? Who's, what location are we at? What's the building look like? All those things feed your performance. And so I was kind of indirectly a part of the production of it anyway. Obviously it wasn't, you know, A, being part of it, pay for it, credited for it, and that's fine. But I just kind of feel like coming into an idea, I just had a business meeting yesterday. We had a big lunch about a project that I'm basically, I help write and create the idea and the outline and pitch it and, and they love the idea and they want to do it. And so you're, you're right from the beginning of the concept and then you get to the execution, which is on day one when you start filming and it's, you feel more part of the uh, ability to create it as opposed to just somebody else making decisions and going, yeah, okay, we'll hire them, you know? And I find that, I find that rewarding. Absolutely. Now, as well. Yeah, now, obviously, you can't talk about those projects now, but in the future, if our listeners would like to stay up to date with you and those projects, where can they look out to hear more details? Um, probably on my Twitter account, Brennan underscore Elliot. I'll have some more information on that. Um, and I, that'll be probably in the next month or two, um, for sure. Um, I'm t probably going to be bringing on a publicist here in a little bit to kind of do a little more exposing as well. But I, so yeah, I mean, people, when, when it happens, they'll be hearing about it for sure. Excellent. Now, uh, finally, before I let you go, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? Uh, 
Um, I think the, the, the first thing I would always tell even, even young people that want to act is, you know, experience life, but also get, get to a good training ground where you can learn not only the craft and how to act and how to break a script down and make strong choices, but how to also work on your instrument. And what I mean by that is you, a person. You know, we're raised, grow up being socially obligated, we're taught to be a certain way, and an actor has to be open and effectable and unguarded all of these and emotionally available and all these things. And we're not really, there's not a lot of places that teach that because it's pretty, it's very personal and it can get scary and get emotional and it can get heavy and, and it can get very funny and it can be all those, all those things. And so I feel like getting in touch with who the, you really are as a person, getting into a, a training ground that only works with craft, but also deals with your instrument. Um, and then just keep doing it and keep growing. I, always, I, I told a cast member the other day, I, was, I went in and, and I hadn't seen him in years. And he was just so, he said he was so impressed at the comedy and how funny I was because he never thought that, he never thought that I did comedy. And I said, I've been doing comedy for, for the last four years on a show called Unreal. I mean, but my point is, I've evolved as an artist. I've found my voice. My humor comes from my personal experience, which could either be wonderful to hear or scary for some. But that's what you use as your own fabric. And he hasn't seen me do that. And maybe when I saw him, I wasn't able to do that. So you're always growing. And I think they just keep, I think kids just, you know, that wants to get into business is get the training and then just keep acting and keep exploring, keep trying, keep, and don't go and do it to be famous or to, you know, get recognized by somebody. Do it because it's a passion that you love to do, you know? I don't know. Those are a few things. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your wise words and your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And Unreal as in America uh, on Lifetime and in Australia on Stand. Yeah. Hey, awesome. I love the Aussies. I've got two really, really close friends from there. So enjoy uh, the show. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you. That was my chat with Brendan Elliott. Now, here's my interview with Todd Hapicorn. Now, Todd has been on stage and on set behind a mic for, for years uh, you've heard him in Full Metal Alchemist, you've heard him in Pokemon, in Sailor Moon, and video games uh, like the Call of Duty series, Defiance, uh, World of Warcraft, Street Fighter, Ghostbusters, and so many more. But he's also a, a director and a writer and a producer, so I had a chat with him ahead of his upcoming Supernova appearance to, uh, to talk about his incredible work and his work ethic. Here's my chat with Todd. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, Todd, what inspired you to become an actor? Well, it's tricky to figure out exactly what inspired it. I think it, more for me, it's about just falling, trying something that I hadn't done before when I was a little boy and just getting the, getting the bite, getting bit by the, the theater zombie and having that passion flow through my veins and convert me to a flesh-eating uh, theater kid is the first thing that started it. But then after that, noticing that I, in my free time, I would gravitate towards uh, wanting to reenact entire movies with my friends or do all the voices of a show and uh, stuff like that. And so it, it just my life kind of naturally gravitated towards performance. And, and, and then as I got older, all aspects of performance and I've, I've stuck with it, and so far it's, uh, it's been a great ride. So once you decided that you wanted to do it professionally, 
what steps did you go through to ensure that happened for you? Well, for me, I wanted to make sure I got as much training as, as I could, of course. And so I uh, really kind of dedicated my life to learning and uh, getting as many experiences as I could in the world of acting. And that branched out into writing and producing and directing and uh, all aspects of performance, whether it's on stage, in front of the camera, behind the mic, uh, having had the, the pleasure and been fortunate enough to have those experiences really kind of helped hone my vision of where I wanted to go and what my goals were. And I, I set very specific goals about where I'd like to go with my my career and having awesome people around me to help make those decisions with me and for me and on my behalf to, to ensure that that happened because it's, uh, it's a combination of a ton of different people making uh, being gracious uh, on all fronts to, to make, to help someone rise up. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that and, and hope I'm doing the best I can with it. Of course. And as you said, you've done uh, work in, on stage, on screen, behind the mic as a director and, and writer and producer. So do you think it's important for entertainers nowadays to have more than one string to their bow? You know, it's, it's not for everybody. Uh, it, it definitely requires a lot of hours. And it's something that I am used to after having done it for so many years. But it's definitely just something that at first I, I did out of a curiosity and sometimes out of necessity when I was uh, producing more films and, and needing to do wear certain hats to make sure that the film got to the finish line. Uh, some, you know, there, and, and I go back and forth. There are days when I wake up and I just want to do the acting thing. Then there are days when I wake up and I want to learn how to be a pilot so I can go to Hawaii and crash land on a beautiful Island and eat nothing but coconuts for the rest of my life. So it's, I think it's an ebb and flow and uh, that's the same for everyone I would imagine. But I, I just try to, as long as I'm doing something within the industry uh, and I know what I'm doing and I'm fairly decent at it, I'm happy. And what about directing yourself? Is that something you've attempted or, or would like to try in the future? I've directed myself for a long time. It's something that I really cut my teeth on in the world of anime and uh, I've done it a lot. And also, you know, as an actor, we do it before our auditions uh, regularly. So I think we all kind of get get a little taste of it as actors. But um, yeah, no, I've, I've directed myself on a variety of projects and I don't foresee it slowing down anytime in the future. So uh, I guess that means I'm doing something right. Absolutely. And I do want to talk uh, just a little bit about the audition process, which has been changing a lot over the last few years. I mean, you don't often go into rooms anymore. You do a lot of self-tapes. With the self-tape, I think there's a tendency to overthink your performance and sometimes make it too mechanical. Is that something that you've found? Well, for me, I luckily audition a lot, so I don't, I don't really have the luxury to overthink it because... <clears throat> There, there's a lot going on in a day for me, uh, typically, and I and in order to get to it all, I I can't I can't scrutinize beyond a hundred percent. So, uh, meaning I, I'm not going to give well, when you just can't give a hundred fifty percent to everything because if you don't get it, you're going to be heartbroken, and then that ruins your week. So I I find that uh, I I try to keep 
my director hat on, my producer hat on, and and try to find that happy balance of what what I feel good about, and hopefully others will too when they when they listen to the audition. And it's a gamble. Every every audition is a gamble, and uh, you can't you. I try to give my all, but you, you can't give your heart to every one of those auditions because you're not going to book them all. And eventually you're going to run out of heart meat. So I don't want to do that. I need my heart to live. So I, I try to, I try to care just enough. That's a good way to be. Now as, as a director, when you audition people, knowing what it's like to be on the other side of the table, is there anything that you do differently because you've got that knowledge? You know, I, I don't know because I, I've done it for a long time in, in a, those varieties of capacities. And uh, I just, um, I don't know, I think, I think it, it is helpful in terms of having a more accurate self-image about what my capabilities are. And I hope it's accurate. And I think that there are some actors that I run into and work with or am friends with that maybe could use a little tweak on their self-image. Maybe, maybe they, they, for example, I worked on a project where the, the role was uh, a princess. Well, I auditioned this 60-plus-year-old woman for the role of the mother, and then she was like, well, let me read for, let me read for the princess. And it, it wasn't a scenario where that was going to work in any conceivable way. And, and so that's what I hope I don't fall into one day is, is trying to play something that I know I can't play. So I really try to have an accurate self-image as, as much as I can. Certainly. And you've talked a couple of times about how, how busy and how full your days are. So take us through an average day for you. Well, average day for me is I, I wake up at 6 or 6.30 and I immediately get to work. Uh, on the day's uh, business, whether that be some accounting or uh, some accounting work, uh, crunching some numbers on on upcoming projects that I've got going on, uh, communicating with the people that work with me uh, in terms of scheduling um, initiatives that we need to get into place. Uh, there's a fair bit of auditioning throughout the day. Then it's getting rid of. Then it's getting ready for sessions. Uh, trying to also fit in time to take care of myself each day um, and have a good fitness regimen and, and good diet. I try to, but we've got a lot of great food in LA and that's a problem. And also our gyms are very crowded. So that's another hurdle, but I try to, I try to keep, keep all that in check. So I still go do the things that I need to do to, to stay healthy and, and awake. Uh, but yeah, I typically go from six or six thirty in the morning till Oh, eight or nine at night. Uh, I, I try to get better about stopping at an earlier time and having a normal, quote unquote, normal work day, uh, so I can so I can ensure that I do this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds insane. And what about protecting your vocal health? Because obviously that's hugely important for someone like you. Well, for for me vocally, I try to be cognizant of the the roles that I'm doing that are going to be super stressful and putting those near the end of a week, or if I'm going to a convention and I'm, I know I'm going to be doing a fair amount of talking, uh, typically that's done in a large noisy crowd. So by the end of the weekend, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll absolutely have a sore throat, but it's just being mindful of those moments and trying to balance those as best I can to make sure I can I can make it through a week vocally. And also, I, I'm not great at getting as much sleep as I probably need, but who is? I certainly hit that snooze button a lot, and I need to get better about that. That's, that's on my list of things to do, but I, I find little little times and uh, in my in my schedule where I can get little habernaps in. I do, I'm pretty adept at the car nap, unfortunately. And so uh, I'm sure that looks weird to people that are walking past, but I'm getting my much-needed rest, so I'm thankful for it. But, yeah, I, I, it's just it's trying to, as best I can, take it all in stride. Certainly. Now, you did mention uh, conventions, and you are doing one in Australia uh, very soon. Uh, called Supernova up in uh, Melbourne and the Gold Coast. What do you love about doing conventions? Well, number one, I recognize and appreciate the fact that no matter what convention I do anywhere in the world, you run into grateful fans. You run into fans that are so happy to meet you and to tell you how much of a fan they are of the work that you get to do. And that's a great feeling uh, that, that, uh, that I certainly get to be on the receiving end of and, and there's nothing wrong with getting some love and also seeing these wonderful spots all over the world, like Melbourne and Gold Coast, which I have to say Gold Coast is probably one of my most favorite spots in Australia for sure. And I know that everyone's like, no, no, Bondi beach, that's the place you need to go. But I really do love Gold Coast and, and I really look forward to going back. In fact, my, one uh, tattoo that I got, I got on my last day in, in uh, Bondi Beach when I was in Australia last. So I look forward to returning and uh, meeting some new friends and saying hi to the old ones. That sounds great. Now, for fans and, and listeners of the show who want to stay in touch with you and see and hear about all your upcoming projects, where can they find you online? On Twitter, I'm at Todd Habercorn. On Instagram, at official underscore Habergram, and there are some imposter sites there, so be careful. And then I have a website called the Habertat, H-A-B-E-R-T-A-T dot com, which has a lot of groovy merchandise, uh, my music and uh, T-shirts that you can only get there, headshots, et cetera, that you can get. Um, but, yeah, we do, we do all sorts of stuff. We try to stay pretty active in the social media world. We've got a upcoming t-shirt campaign where we throw a, a cool design that I've worked with my designers on to create a shirt that only is sold for that month. And we print out, we make all the orders that we receive in, we receive in that month. And then there's no more. Like our last shirt was a glow in the dark death, the kid symmetry shirt. Then we had before that to celebrate the theatrical release of Dragon Cry, the latest fairy tale film. We had a, a Natsu shirt made that you could only get during that time. So people keep an eye on my social media for when those, those shirt advertisements come out and be sure to snag one if you're a fan. But yeah, a lot, we try to stay pretty active on the social media side of things. Uh, and the fans are always great about playing along. And then also one last thing that I'm really excited about that a lot of people uh, are on board with is this app called Unlocked that uh, I am a part of and get to work with Bryce and David who created the app. I'm one of the people that works uh, with them. I'm the head of original 
content creation for them. And we're going to be getting into some cool shows and, and stuff that are, that are currently being worked on for the app. So there's a lot of different outlets for social media stuff that I look forward to sharing with everybody. That sounds great. We'll chuck some links to all of those in the show notes of this podcast to make it really easy for our listeners to get on board with that. Thank you so much, Todd. It's been great talking to you today. Great talking to you, and, and thank you in advance for letting me come uh, and play on your continent, and I look forward to it. That is all for today's episode of Talk To Me. As always, thanks to our incredible supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles. All their details are available on the supporters section of the website. Don't forget to check out The Phoenix Files Man in the Shadows on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play and phoenixfilesaudio.com. It stars John Jarrett and Paul McGann. It's fantastic. You'll definitely love that sci-fi audio drama. And thanks to Supernova for facilitating the interview with Todd Habercorn today. Now, Todd and I will both be appearing at Supernova in Melbourne and the Gold Coast towards the end of April. Uh, full details are in the show notes of the podcast, so you can come and have a look at Supernova. Other guests include Smallville's Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum, uh, Doctor Who's Peter Capaldi, uh, Torchwood and Arrow's John Barrowman. There's cast from The 100. There's somebody from The Walking Dead. It's going to be a fantastic event. Obviously, guests uh, from this show, uh, like Vic Miganoa, uh, Stephanie Nadolny, um, Todd Habercorn, obviously, and, and two guests from last week's or last uh, last month's podcast, uh, Walter Jones and Anjali Bhabhani. So, so many fantastic guests uh, at Supernova. I'll be there. It's going to be great. Definitely come and check that out. Well, I have been your host, Benjamin Mamakay. We've got so many more exciting interviews to bring you over the next few months. So stay tuned, stay subscribed. You can follow me on social media as well. Don't forget about that. I'm uh, at BenjaminMM underscore on Twitter, Benjamin Mayer McKay on Facebook, and uh, I'm on Instagram as well. And you'll have to just look in the show notes of that. Well, I have been your host, Benjamin Mayer McKay. I'll see you next month. Bye for now. Bye.